Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you have given of the very best that you have. And it's because of your great sacrifice and your great love that we celebrate this season of Christmas. For unto us this day a Savior is born, a Son is given, as the prophets foretold. And Lord, we give you thanks and praise that it doesn't end at the Christmas story. But your son, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life and willingly gave himself upon the cross at Calvary. And it doesn't end there. For three days later, he rose again and conquered sin and death. So this morning we come to worship you, to praise you, to bring you glory. And God, to have you continue in the process of transforming our spirits. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's one here that doesn't know you, that you would draw them and you would transfer, transform them into your image as only you can do through your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray this morning that for those who know you, <clears throat> Lord, those who are followers of Christ, Lord, that they would believe in a way that is open to you seeing transformation happen in them and around them and through them in their homes, in their neighborhoods, and in their places of business and work. So, Lord, we, we give you this time and we invite you to open our minds and our hearts so that you might change us. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be... And the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And I've entitled this sermon, The Doubters of the First Noel. Now, that word Noel simply means good news. The news. The, the good news. That's all simply what it is. You know, I remember singing that when I was getting I was thinking, what in the heck's a Noel anyway? And I think it was a girl in my third grade class. But actually, uh, that's, that's the message here. The, the first proclamation of the good news that unto us today a Savior is born. And yet when it came about, there were a couple who doubted to some degree. You see, in that culture, in the Hebrew culture, there's been about 400 years of silence that a lot of prophets or excuse me, a lot of scholars call it. There hasn't been any scripture read and really not a lot to write scripture about. There are stories and there are happenings, of course. But there hasn't been that intimate voice of God, that proclamation of the prophets to the people for a long period of time. But the priest and those who are considered to be righteous, those who are considered to believe believers of the Messiah who would come, they would often use this expression. They would say this. But one day when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will come. And when He comes, He'll make things right. When the Messiah comes, we'll have hope. We'll have promise. We'll have grace. We'll have position. When the Messiah comes, He'll make it right. But when the Messiah comes, we deal with oppression. But when the Messiah comes, it seems dark now. But when the Messiah comes, 
it was an expression that virtually everyone would have heard. And those who were the priest and the religious authorities would speak it quite frequently. They were anticipating the day that the Messiah, in fact, would come. And that, in fact, is what is about to happen here in Luke chapter 1. But we're going to see that there are a couple of people who doubt. And, and, and one of them has what I might call a healthy form of doubt. You see, in, in the New Testament, there are about seven different words used for the word doubt. So it really kind of depends on the nuance and how it's used. But one of the people that we'll look at, matter of fact, it's Mary, there's a doubt, but there's what I would call an open doubt. There's an openness. There's a more of a confusion and a perplexity. There's an openness in her doubting, an openness to what could be. We see that all the time with people, don't we? We see some folks who are open to God doing something in their life. They're open to what their future could be. They're open to what uh, their children might become. They, 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 they wrestle with some doubts sometimes, but they're open. And there are others who are closed. There are things that we're closed and we just don't believe. We've just become jaded. For example, I'm somewhat closed-minded and doubt. I have a closed form of doubt about when this road's going to get fixed out here. I'm, I just don't really believe it's going to happen. I, I hear dates and they tell me these dates and it doesn't happen. So I'm kind of closed. I'm not very open. Maybe you're that way with someone you work with or someone in your family. You're just kind of closed. You just don't think God could really ever do anything with them. But then there's that open doubt that you have, that confusion or perplexity. You wonder, how is God going to transform this child, my son or my daughter, and into someone of his image. Right now, he doesn't want to say his prayers. He doesn't want to read the Bible. He doesn't want to go to church. But you're open. You're very open that things are going to change. Maybe you've got a spouse or a loved one who's far away from God. And the words that you've said and the prayers that you've prayed, you've not seen a lot of results. But you're open to God working. You're open to God transforming. And you believe that He can and you believe that He will. See, we all deal with an element of doubt in our lives. The question is, what kind of doubt is it and what do we do with our doubts? Well, here's a story, a true story, in fact, of two different individuals. One of a priest. A priest who was one who would teach the people to have hope and to believe that the Messiah would come, that God would make things right, that God would transcend the current situation, and that He would bring a new kingdom. He would usher in a new kingdom and a new form of life. One who taught these very principles, and another who was simply a teenage girl, who was a peasant, whom had not had probably very much training, and probably had... Less reason to believe and to understand. We start with Zechariah in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 5. And in this time, Herod the king of Judea was there. And there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth also was a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and his regulations blamelessly. So we see that Zechariah was faithful in church. He did everything he was supposed to do. He 
He uh, was faithful to the regulations, to the traditions. He was doing, he was checking the boxes quite well. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. And once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as the priest before God. He was chosen by a lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. What happened here is there were a lot of priests and it would come to your division's time and they would literally cast lots. And the lot that was uh, placed before a certain priest would be chosen and he would go burn the incense. Some some priests would never have this privilege and this opportunity to go and burn incense at the holy temple. But for this particular day, Zechariah is the one who is chosen. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all assembled, all assembled and the worshipers were praying outside. So all the other priests and worshipers are outside praying as Zechariah goes into the holy temple. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You'll notice a lot of these expressions, a lot of these words are used in just a few moments in a few verses later of Mary. They have somewhat identical experiences to a degree. So the angel appears to him and he's afraid. But the angel says to him, do not. Be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. You see, you've been praying this prayer for the Messiah to come. You've been praying for God to usher in the kingdom. You've been praying that you would see this day. And perhaps Zechariah has also prayed for a child, but probably he's forgotten about that prayer. But he's probably daily praying for the coming of the Messiah. And Zechariah is greeted by an angel in the most holy temple. And this word is given to him. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. What prayers are you praying that you just almost don't expect God to answer anymore? There was a time when you were fervent, but now maybe there are words that you just utter or maybe you don't even utter them anymore. Have your prayers become closed in their belief? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Now, that was uncommon in that culture for you not to get to choose the name of your child. Just like today, when we have a child, we get to name him. We don't go to you don't come to me and say, what shall I name my child? Uh, You don't go to the government that nobody issues a name. Maybe your mother-in-law does. But uh, for the most part, no one tells you what you have to name your child. So this was even unusual at this time. You would typically pick a name that had been in your family, but that's not the case here because there's an angel. The angel Gabriel, we believe, is speaking here to Zechariah and giving him very specific instruction. There's going to be something special about this child. And his name shall be John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. It's also prophesied that John would come, that there would be one who would go ahead of the Messiah. In fact, that's who it is. And of course, Zechariah would have been very familiar with the prophecies. He would have taught the prophecies. It was the only way that people really got to hear Scripture in that day, because most of them, uh, the vast majority, and I mean like 99.9%, did not have a copy of the Scripture. It was handwritten. It was kept in uh, in the temple 
or in a special place. Maybe the priest would have their own, but the common man wouldn't have a copy of the scriptures. So they were taught by the priest. And so he's sharing. He shared this promise. He shared these prophecies before. He knows what is to come. And he is the one to be, bring joy. And he will rejo- people will rejoice at his birth, but he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will never, he is never to take of wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon him even from birth. We're not going to get into this discussion or this debate. But I mean, here is one particular instance where there is an election element going on. I mean, this guy doesn't have a whole lot of choice about whether he's coming to Christ, does he? I mean, it's happening to him. You know what I mean? It's like the Holy Spirit's on you when you're born. I mean, what am I going to do with that? Tell him to go away. Uh, and let me say, I'm, I am not, I am not uh, what you think I am. So let's, let's continue to go on. I don't even know why I digress there. Many of the people of Israel will bring, bring, bring back to the Lord and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And again, remember who Zachariah is. Remember what he does for a living. Remember what he studies for a living. He probably has a large portion, if not all, of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, memorized to be a priest. Okay, now he may be old and have forgotten some, but he pretty much has memorized the Torah. He knows the prophets well. He knows the prophecy well. He knows that this is something he should be anticipating. He's probably preached it before. But when it happens, Zechariah asks the angels, now how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an older guy. My wife is in, you know, she's along in years. How, how can I be sure of this? Well, this is a, almost a form of closed doubt because Zachariah knows. He's the one whom, whom the people look for, for hope. To look for, to understand the scriptures. Zachariah knows. And now I think it's a sign myself. You got an angel standing there talking to you. Okay. Not something that happens every day. Hello. The clue phone's ringing. Pick it up, Zachariah. But Zachariah has become, he's become old in his faith. And he's just expected God not to really move, not to really do it in his time. I'll be good. I'll try to do what's right. But I don't know God about that. How about another sign? I know you got this angel here, but quite frankly, I bet he's not going to walk outside and tell everybody. And so, I, you know, how do I explain this? How about another sign? He should have known better. I'm old. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Well, that sounds like a story that Zachariah would have taught that of Abraham and Sarah. It's not like it hasn't happened before. He's a man of faith. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. In other words, here's your sign, my friend. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. To tell you this gospel. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. You've been given a sign. You've been given one that no one else has received You've been given the word and now you ask for more. I will give you that opportunity. You're not going to speak a word until he is born. Now, let's skip over 
a few verses. And let's go to the story of Mary in verse 26. And in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Notice the parallelisms here. Notice how similar they are to that of Zechariah, the condition or excuse me, the situation that Mary finds her in, the words that are spoken to her. It's to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You know how important it is that the Messiah be a descendant of David. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. If you weren't here, go back online and listen to it. But it's highly important, highly significant. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That word greetings literally is where the Latin comes from. Ave. Ave Maria. Greeting Mary. That's where that comes from. It says, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered at what kind of greeting this might be. Now, this is another word that's sometimes used for doubt. This nuance here. She's she's troubled. She's perplexed. Can I tell you it's not a sin to be confused sometimes? It's not a sin to be perplexed. And that's exactly where Mary is. Mary, a 14, 15, maybe 16-year-old teenage girl. The angel has come and spoken a word to her and she is confused. She has a very open form of doubt. I, I don't understand. It's one who is seeking understanding and so, in fact, he continues, he, she see, the angel sees that she is perplexed, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Same word given to Zechariah. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Yeshua. You don't get to choose it either. <laughs> Your cousin, he would choose a name. You, you certainly don't get to choose. As a matter of fact, this is going to be a God-given name. Matter of fact, this is actually going to be God's name. So it's going to be Yeshua, the one of whom the prophecies have been made. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High. The Most High was another uh, expression given of God because they didn't say the word Yahweh. So it was a very reverent. Respectful name of God. He will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Again, the significance of that. This is where the Messiah would come. This is what the prophecy foretold. This is what the people knew. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Wow. Now that right there gives us a real picture into the divinity of Christ because it says it's never going to end. This is going to be for eternity. And how will this be? Mary is perplexed. Hey, I, I know the story. I've heard the priest tell me the story about Jacob and Sarah. But I mean, like they were married and they got together. You see, but I, I'm a virgin. Liberal scholars will sometimes say, well, what virgin really means is that it was a young girl. Because it's used sometimes in that manner in the Old Testament. But we know from this verse right here, we know from many scriptures, but we know from this verse right here, he's not just talking about a young girl. He's talking about someone who's never been with a man. And Mary said, this is where I'm confused. This is why I'm perplexed. I, it's not that I'm old and, and kind of, it's that I've never been with anybody. So how does that work exactly? 
I'm open. I just have some real questions about this. That's a healthy question. Sometimes it's healthy to ask questions about the Trinity and the resurrection. Sometimes it's healthy to ask questions about, God, I need you to move in my life. and I don't understand how all this is going to work. Those are okay. Those aren't sins. It's what we do with our doubts. And Mary seeks to understand, but yet wants to believe. I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, God's going to take care of that. The Spirit's going to come upon you. And God is going to overshadow. He's going to come upon you in a miraculous way. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible, God. This, can I tell you this, Mary? The Spirit's going to come upon you, and God's going to take care of it. I'm the angel here to tell you, to give you the word. And what does she say to that? She goes, I'm the Lord's servant. You know what? I, I believe. You sent, sent it to me. You said, God's going to do it. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe. And not only that, she says this. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. There wasn't somebody there to witness this or to see it happen. And here she is. She's not a woman of great respect because she's only probably 15, 16 years old. She hadn't gotten her, her chariot license at this point. I mean, she's not someone that people typically are going to believe. She knows what that means. They'll probably believe that Joseph and I kind of had some hanky-panky ahead of time, and that wasn't good. But Joseph, being a righteous man, he's probably going to say, no, that didn't happen. And then they're going to think even worse. But God, I'm your servant. I trust you. I, I, I don't understand how this will all work out, but I believe. You've answered my question. You've spoken to me, and you said that God's going to do it. And you've sent the angel, I, I believe. I'm your servant. Here I am. It's... The same word that, and the same spirit that we need to respond to God Almighty today as He calls us. One we see was a believer, but was closed to how he thought God worked. He had to work in this little box. God, you work in here. If you can work in here, I'll believe. But God, when you get outside my box, I can't buy that. I, I don't buy that God does that. I preach it and I teach it, but for me, I'm just in a box here. And then one who had not had the training, the years of experience, the title, the understanding says, God, this is out of my box, but if you can help me, I want to believe it. It's like the end of the man who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, in verse 20, 21 through 24. And the Bible tells us that this man came and his son had had convulsions. He had demons. He'd just throw himself on the ground and have these huge convulsions. And he'd had it since he was a child. And now he was older. And he had gone to many and he even went to the disciples and they couldn't do anything for him. So he comes to Jesus. He says, you know, I took my son to your followers, to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. But he's been like this since birth. Can you help him? Can you heal him? And Jesus says... All things are possible to him who believes. And a great expression in Mark 9, 24. The man responds in this way. 
Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I don't understand, but I believe you could do it. I don't understand how you could do it, but I, I, I know you could. And, and God, if I'm not 100%, would you help me to get there? Hey, and Jesus hears that prayer and he heals the boy. That's a great comfort to me. When I run into those challenges sometimes that I can't make heads or tails of. I don't understand what God's doing. I don't understand this passage of Scripture. I don't have to say, well, obviously I'm, I'm well educated. I'm a smart individual. I'm probably just about as smart as God. And I don't think that happens. So that's the way it is. That's called close-mindedness. Or I can be like the, the Father. And incidentally, a lot of times we become like the Father when we have to be, don't we? When the world falls apart and we have no other place to go. Lord, I believe. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. And it doesn't mean you're ungodly. It doesn't mean you're sinning. It means you're being honest. You're confessing. You're recognizing your frailty, your inability to transform the situation and your need for God Almighty. And that's the spirit we see in Mary. You look at these expressions they both received. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You will have a child. The child will be from God. He will take the throne of his ancestor David. The child will be the reigning king forever. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. What will you do with that? So when you have doubts, what do you do with them today? There are different types of doubts. First of all, sometimes there are factual doubts. And I think we all need to wrestle through the factual doubts. What about the resurrection? What about the Trinity? What about, did Jesus really live? Did He really say those things? And can I tell you that there is good historical evidence to prove that that was true, even beyond faith. We don't just have to wrestle when people throw zingers. We can study to show ourselves proved as workmen that need not be ashamed, that rightly divide the word of truth. Truth is on our side. We don't have to be afraid of truth. We can embrace it. That doesn't mean we understand it. That doesn't mean we have an easy answer. So sometimes there's factual doubt because I'm new in the faith or there's just some questions I don't quite understand. That's fine. Study. Begin to seek. That's exactly what Mary did. But number two, sometimes there are emotional doubts. You see, things aren't going well in my life right now. God's not working like I thought he would work. There's an illness in my family. There's been a death in my family. Finances are awful. I'm discouraged. I don't think God's there. I just don't emotionally feel it. That's emotional. That's kind of a, a doubt that's been invaded by that spirit of despair. And it becomes an emotional doubt. It doesn't even really deal with reality. But it becomes very real. Sometimes our doubt is simply that. And sometimes it's volitional. What do I mean by that? It's volitional in the sense that we've decided we're not going to believe. We've decided it's more convenient. It's kind of a convenient doubt that this is the way things work and I'm most comfortable here and this is the way God does things and let's just keep it like that. It's very inconvenient for me to get out of my box. It's very inconvenient to think God can still do miracles. It's very inconvenient to think that God would uh, maybe use me 
or ask me to do something and get out of my comfort zone. It, this is, I come to church, I sing, I pray, I do my devotionals. That's the way it works. So God, just, I don't believe all this other stuff. We don't say that with our mouths, but in our heart. It's convenient doubt. What about you this morning? We all struggle with doubts. We all have questions. Nothing wrong with that. The question becomes, is it a convenient doubt or a doubt of conscience? A doubt of God, I, I don't understand, but I want to know. Or is it simply, I've already made my mind up. We see people like that, don't we? People who uh, don't know Christ, some are just, I don't want to hear it, I don't believe. Okay? I know that's not true, I don't even want to talk about it. They're closed. Others, they'll engage you in conversation, and they'll read, and they'll seek. We had... Matt Jones, uh, you know, one of a friend of mine and a neighbor that, that moved away a few months ago, he sat right up here and he goes, I, I'm open. I want to know. That's a great place to be. But sometimes believers are the same way. You know what? This is the way it's always worked for me. This is the way it's going to be. And we're kind of close. We're kind of like Zachariah. But God wants us to be as believers like Mary. Hey, you know, you get to ask questions. You don't have to follow blindly. But you, you go in saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to believe. Lord, I want to see. I want to understand. I don't have my mind made up and I am not uh, placing you outside of the equation. Do what you must do. And here I am, your servant. Billy Graham tells a story of when he was a... Uh, Young in his ministry, they were just starting to do crusades, and he did it with a guy named Charles Templeton. And in many regards, a lot of people thought Charles Templeton was sharper than Billy Graham. Some would even say he was a better communicator, a better speaker. And, and Billy really, really loved Charles, and they had, had worked together right out of college, and they began just that process of just beginning to speak. Nobody really knew who they were at this point. And they were just starting to do some crusades, the very first ones. And uh, unbeknownst to Billy Graham and, and really anybody at the time, Charles Templeton was dealing with some sin in his own life. And uh, you find that out later. Actually, I found that out through uh, Lee Strobel as he interviewed him. And came to a place where he probably just couldn't manage both of those. And he had some questions about some scriptural texts, some questions about how God works. And he, he just one night he said, Billy, I'll tell you what, I just can't do anymore. I just don't believe. I just can't keep doing this. He goes, and he gave a whole litany of questions to Billy Graham that Billy couldn't answer at the time. And Billy Graham said, I remember walking outside that night and just pondering all these questions. And I didn't have answers for him. And here's a guy who I look up to who's smarter than me, sharper than me who I've seen God use, and he's saying he doesn't believe it. He goes, and I kind of had one of those crisis of belief moments. And I walked outside, and I was out there for a long time, and I began to ask those questions and just whirl them over my mind. And finally, as I was going through that process, I hit my knees, and I began to cry out to God, Lord, help me. Help me to understand. Help me to believe. He said, speak to me. And he said, I just felt the presence of God come upon me like I'd never experienced before. And a confidence of truth came. And I went back to my room and I began to study the Scriptures and read the Scripture. And I became more and more confident that this is true. That I am staking my life on it. I believe it. And you know the story. Templeton goes into obscurity. 
loses his family, loses his marriage, and basically becomes an unbeliever. And Billy Graham goes on to be the greatest evangelist, certainly of modern history. More people have probably come to Christ under Billy Graham than anyone. And we speak that name with honor and reverence. But there was a day that he, like Templeton, had to deal with his doubts. One man was open. One man was closed. As you come to church this day, as you come to this Christmas season, do you come open to the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of Jesus and what He could do in your life? Or do you come closed? Maybe you're here this morning you've never trusted Christ. I want to invite you to take that first step. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer, but it's just become a tradition. Church is just something I do. I want to invite you to open your mind and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful examples of Scripture that help us so closely identify, even today in our modern society, with the questions and struggles that we have. Lord, I thank you that, it, that confusion is not a sin. Perplexity is not a sin. It's what we do with that. Lord, I pray that you help us to that place where we're willing and and um, where we're disciplined enough to come to a place where we study, where we can doubt our doubts. Lord, I pray for those, Father, who are here this morning who it's become convenient just not to believe. It's become convenient just not to trust. It's become convenient just to be in control themselves. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them and you'd move in their hearts this day. Lord, we pray that, God, you would transform each of us, each of us in our own spirit that deals with unbelief, that deals with confusion, that you would give us the strength and the grace as we study your word, as we trust you to grow and not only to overcome, but to become a man and woman of faith that you desire for us to be like Mary and says, Lord, I believe do what you will. Let that be true of your believers and your followers this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.